Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, we have a very special guest, our good friend, Dave McKay, who is both a principal of a middle school and a father of middle school sons. And today, I want to talk about an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal recently, and it was about middle school boys and middle school boys struggling to sort of come back from the pandemic, struggling to be organized and struggling to stay motivated in school. And here's the best paragraph I read. The roots of boys' problems are complex. Things that once benefited boys in school, including male teachers, recess, and vocational classes, have dwindled in recent years. The post-pandemic ubiquity of technology also has contributed to boys' problems and parents' frustrations. If you have the option between studying for boring chemistry and playing a video game, who would choose the chemistry homework? And with Chromebooks in tow throughout the school day, boys are assess accessing YouTube and games during class. Girls have their share of tech problems too, but the desires for likes and connection that make social media so appealing and at times harmful can benefit girls as they pursue positive feedback from teachers and peers, psychologists say. Parents, tutors, and education experts say boys need extra encouragement to understand the payoff of working hard in school. Basically, they need a bigger reason than letter grades. And Don, Dave, the article just kind of goes on to talk about the plight of middle school boys and also some of the scary statistics about what it means if they are behind by the time they get to high school. What did you guys think about this article? The struggle is real. The struggle is real. I'll pass my time on to an expert. David, what, what's going on? You know, I, I would agree that the struggle is real. For especially middle school boys, it's one of those things that over the years, so this is year 11 for me as administrator at, a, at the middle school level, and I have seen it day in and day out. And it's interesting that, you know, now it seems like the pendulum is turning. Whereas when I first started as an administrator, it was a big push about getting girls to be interested in math and science and, and that type of thing. And now we're kind of flipped the page and we're talking about boys and just their engagement in school. And Zach, I, I think I would defer to you a little bit because you're with them day in and day out in a social studies classroom, which seventh grade social studies can't be the most exciting thing, but I, I would agree that the struggle is real for seventh grade and eighth grade six or eight boys. So would you agree with the general premise then that something happened to middle school boys and getting them engaged, getting them motivated, of course, on the whole, there are always going to be great young men and girls that we have in school that are very motivated. But on the whole, are you noticing this trend? Because I've been at the middle school level now for nearly 20 years. And I do feel like over the last five, six, seven years, more and more boys, I feel like, are kind of checking out on me, and it's really hard to keep their attention and keep their engagement. Yeah, I, I for sure. I would say, I know the article talks a little bit about the pandemic, but I would even go back prior to that. You know, I would, you know, if we had Dr. Haas here on, on this podcast with us, something him and I talked about when we worked together a lot was middle school boys, leadership, 
and getting them actively engaged in the educational process as, as, as a building as a whole. And that goes back, like you said, this is my 11th year as a middle school administrator. So this goes back as far as me starting as an administrator at the middle school level, where we have had this discussion of how do we engage middle school boys in the educational process and getting them hooked in and involved in school more than just athletics, more than just band, more than just choir, right? So those are the three big things that I see middle school boys connecting with. You know, we've had some things grow from there. You know, I think now robotics is another one that we've got a large boy contingent of that are actively engaged in, you know, but you go beyond those, those things, athletics, band, choir, and robotics. And it's just like, how do we keep getting them engaged in the educational process? Like I said, it's it's more than just the pandemic. It's more than just these recent years. This is a long-term thing that's been going on at the middle school level. And I think it translates into the high school level. How do we keep them engaged at the high school level? And I know the two of you have talked about this, carries over to post-secondary. How do they engage at the collegiate level? How do they engage in a trade school or that type of thing? And I, I do think it really carries on from our level and even before beyond. I'm glad Dave now, brought up like 10, 11 years ago, because I think that's when we should start addressing this problem in that the alternatives got so much better. I mean, school was the place where things happened. And at home, not much happened when I was young and probably 20 years ago and 15 years ago. And that now things are happening at home and school's just a place you have to be when you're not at home, when you're not the person you are online, on your game or on your phone. And the middle school is really good at keeping the phones away from kids during class, but it doesn't mean that they're like, yeah, this doesn't matter. I'm going to get home and do be my real self on my game or in other ways. And it's hard to really root the identity when the most important and interesting thing happening in your day is not school. And hasn't been for a while. Right. I, I think that that's what I see a lot of is kids literally dreading coming into a school building. And it's not like this is the first time ever kids dreaded coming to school, but struggling to find any sort of positive aspect to the day. The, the word Fortnite just gets thrown around more and more and more again around a lot of our boys. And I feel like when you talk about engagement, Dave, and I feel like that's the one thing they seem really excited about. And the moment I'll ask them about that is the, the one time we can have a genuine moment of connection. And it, and it just seems like you're right. We at school maybe don't have enough for boys. And I guess my question is, is if you've started these conversations so long ago, what other ideas have you guys thrown about or tossed about to maybe try to re-engage boys? At any level, it can be hard. How do you engage boys? Because if you think about what do we do in in a classroom right there there is a level of you need to sit you need to be engaged in an adult who's trying to share some information but you know zach i think and you would know as 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 a middle school educator in the social studies department right what are we working on this year it's about discussion and it's about engaging kids in these discussion type pieces 
You know, when I walk into math classrooms right now at the middle level, what do we, what is our focus? Our focus is on, you know, using these vertical whiteboarding techniques where kids are up and moving around and they're working in groups and having discussions. You know, I walk into science classrooms and the focus this year in science classrooms is about modeling. So it's about drawing and creating and then taking those ideas and then sharing them as a group. So these types of new, I wouldn't say new, but these types of educational focuses that we're having as a middle level in Lake Orion, especially like those, those will touch on kids and those will touch on boys. You know, I think about what I can do as an administrator, right? We've, we've really focused on the last, oh geez, it's been a while now, but like lunch, you know, we the kids only need 15 minutes for lunch. Let's be honest. They scarfed on their food and then they are ready to move. So every chance we get, we get the kids outside. It benefits everybody, not just boys, but it benefits girls. It benefits everybody to get them outside, get some fresh air to run around. And it is amazing to see, it doesn't matter what grade, six through eight, the kids outside running around, being kids, having fun, throwing a football, playing with a volleyball, kicking a soccer ball around like that 10 minutes is amazing. And that helps them reset their day. I wish we could do it. I wish I could do 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day outside of PE where they could get out and run around, get rid of some energy and just have some fun like that. You know, it just re-engages them, you know, I think about our lunches, you know, I have two foosball tables, I have two ping pong tables. So like right now where I can't get them outside, I can at least get them active. I can get them moving, get them active and just help them engage and have fun in school. You know, that's more connected to just being social. And I think that's so important for not just boys, but all, all kids. So I would echo that I have a ninth grader and uh, the last three years he was in middle school. And that was the most important thing to him of the day was, do I get out after lunch to play? And he'd, he'd fly through lunch so he could do that. And at his school, the alternate sides of the cafeteria that got to go to the gym or outside to play because they didn't, for whatever reason, they decided they couldn't have everybody out there. He alternated which sides he ate lunch so that he could leave and get out to the school every day to play and uh, shoot some hoops or whatever. I mean, that's that's a big critical thing. That was a highlight for him every day. Well, well, that's, I guess, my question, because another article I just recently sent you guys was also from the Wall Street Journal, and it was talking about some of these schools that have that are all boys schools, for instance, and they've tried to think about their curriculum and, and movement and activity is something that, you know, you guys have just talked about how important it is. This school is basically having a 20-minute morning snack break where kids are outside, a 45-minute lunch, and then they're having the boys have PE three to five days a week. Do you think that part of the issue is, is we just don't have enough opportunities for kids to get outside and run around? I mean, should we be taking five minutes from every class and then rebuilding in more physical movement and stuff like that? I do. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, one of the kind of silver bullets out of COVID is that, at least in my building, we really encourage like, hey, 
you know, we've got kids who, you know, through COVID, we had kids at times who were wearing masks all day. Like, hey, take them outside for a mask break. Take them outside, get them outside, let them run around for a few minutes. And that's carried over even to now where halfway through class, you know, kids are taking a break. They're going outside. They're going for a walk throughout the building. And I've, I've encouraged that even now, just knowing that 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 movement and giving those kids a break, all kids a break to just walk and move. You know, that's there's something to that in terms of getting them to reconnect with the academics when they get back, you know, and yeah, we're losing losing five minutes, but that's OK. If you're more efficient in your classroom for the other 49 minutes for us, that you you can lose five minutes over the course of, you know, every day over the course of a year and just be efficient and still do what you need to do but also connect with the kids and recognize that like, yeah, you need a break. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, Zach and Don, but I need a break. Like I, I can't go hours in a meeting and not stand up and move around. Like I, I lose it. Like I can't do it. So I can see how kids get her the same way I am. Well, and that's one of the issues they bring up in the article is you've got boys that are kind of fidgeting in class and, and pretty soon they're knocking into people or they're they're becoming a disruption a little bit. And I, and I guess I thought what was interesting was the article cited that there's this sort of rise in ADHD diagnoses, and it's two times higher in boys than girls. They said that between the ages of 12 through 17 now, 14% of uh, boys in our country have been diagnosed with ADHD. Do you guys think that's high? Do you think that's partly a rise in just, again, a lot of people staying in classrooms for way too long and just not getting exercise? Or do you just say I, it's really tough to actually explain this particular phenomenon? It's a broad distribution. It's not like kids are ADHD or not. There's a sliding scale somewhere between the kid I have in class that can't pay attention more than 15 seconds to any given issue, but it's very bright. He just can't, after 15 seconds, he's gone. Or there are some kids that are labeled that, but are just struggle to, they still have a duration of concentration. It's just, they can't maintain a super high level the entire time. There's a whole thing here. And it's not just, I and mean, all boys are somewhat scattered, but as a teacher, I think you should do a good job of having them move and standing up every day. Like Dave was saying, every day in my class, kids are standing up and moving and going someplace to do something to draw a graph on a different board. But what's weird to me is I'm kind of seeing a little bit of the opposite effect that Dave is in that I'm seeing kids that don't want to stand up. Like, all right, everybody get up, move to the back, stand up, move to the backboard, move with your feet. And they're like, oh, I, I just want to sit here. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's almost as if they've gone beyond the fidgety to just like, oh, I just want to be just, I want to be sedated. Like, you know. It's a good point, though, Don, in, in terms of there, there is a certain segment of kid that, you know, we talk about movement as if that's the one solution we can have. And as, as Dave said at the very beginning, this is a very complex issue and movement is maybe one factor in it. But when you don't even want to do that, that then hits on that very undermotivated part that that really boys seem to have. And, and as the article points out, kids that are behind by eighth grade academically are much more likely to not finish high school on time and are much more likely to struggle in high school. 
And, and therefore, what other things should we be talking about, Dave? You know, the push for a multitude of high school opportunities in terms of, you know, beyond college. You know, I think about when I was at the high school level and the push for college, 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 college. You're going to college, right? Every every kid's you're in class, you're, you're, you're going to end up in some sort of college. And I think things are swinging in the other direction where people are recognizing there's a lot more opportunity beyond college. I think the big push right there is financially just the cost of college. People are recognizing that I'm going to spend 120 grand for a bachelor degree and I'm going to make $30,000 doing this job. Whereas I could be a plumber or be go into a tr skilled trade and make more money. You know, I'm fortunate in my household, my, my wife, you know, has hands-on and, and working experience. Part of her job is to help kids work through those, those kind of other professions or other job opportunities to hear those. And I think we're starting to see that more and more pushed at the high school level, not just at certain high schools, but at all high schools. You know, she's been fortunate enough just talking with her. She's getting into more and more high schools to, to talk about those other opportunities for kids, you know, not just boys, but for kids. So it's, it's a big thing to, to give those other opportunities to say, yep, it's not just college. You could go to OCC as a junior, work through different things and end up having a, you know, business degree along with a start on your apprenticeship as a plumber. Like that's a big deal that kids maybe 10 years ago weren't, wasn't even talked about. So just having those opportunities and continuing to push those opportunities for our kids is is really a, a big deal. Do you think we should be bringing that stuff down to the middle school level in terms of giving kids ideas of future careers, but also giving them opportunities that are maybe more hands-on and more applicable than, you know, just listening about the Sumerian wheel and stuff like that? Absolutely. And that, and that has... It is starting. It's slow, but it's starting. You know, last year, I know one of the high school assistant principals did some field trips with eighth grade students so they could get out and, and go to OCC and see the different opportunities that they have that are not maybe a traditional college track. And that's going to continue again this year. I know that, you know, that's part of what Amanda is trying to do right now is she's trying to get into high schools or high schools and like middle school, junior highs to talk about scheduling. Cause you know, I, that is part of it is, you know, when you do middle school, eighth grade scheduling, you know, it is a talk of this is your four-year plan. Like what's your plan from now to your senior year. So kids being able to see that opportunity at eighth grade, like, Hey, here's a different option. You could start your junior year at OCC doing college classes along with a trade 
and end up with an associate's degree and also like a track to construction, a track to plumbing, a track to mechatronics. Like that is something that is huge that we need to kind of continue to push. It's just starting, but we need to push that more so that kids can see those bigger options beyond a four-year institution like OU or U of M, Michigan State. Let's make some urgency here. Let's do what the Germans do. And at age 12, you're you're choosing the path for the next four to 10 years. You're going to go to a gymnasium. You're going to go to vocational school. You take a test at 12 and it determines your fate. I respect that. I think they bring a lot more urgency to middle school if you're like, hey, age 12 is it, man. Like You got to make a call. You got to decide if you're a hardcore student or if you're just going to go learn to be a welder. Not that there's anything wrong with being a welder. I certainly would have been on the path of being a welder at age 12. I will put that on the record. But we're putting urgency to the problem. What do you think about that, Dave? I, I do wonder, you know, some of a lot of the research seems to say boys like competitions. They want to work on competitive things. Do you think part of it is middle school's kind of low stakes at the end of the day, right? We're, we're, we're definitely trying to help shape a lot of behaviors and give kids opportunities to learn from mistakes. But as Don's saying, maybe there's not enough urgency around it. And is that part of why we have the engagement issue? You're right. Middle school is very low stakes. You know, uh, to be very frank, part of the conversations I have a lot with people is, yep, it's middle school. Nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> you, you, you fail middle school, nobody cares. You get all fours in middle school and you get all A's in middle school the end of the day, nobody, great, good for you, right? It's, it is all about self-motivation um, and parental motivation. I struggle with Don's model of Germany and, and some of the European where you're set in your ways when you're 12, right? Let's be honest. Let's think of all of us at 12. I was <laughs> the greatest kid at 12. I'm going to be honest, you know? <laughs> Um, Dave, you and I be working with our hands. We be maybe building hey, houses together, nailing still, up the walls. And I love working with my hands, right? I'm not going to be, you know what? I'm going to be very honest, both to both of you guys. Like I literally brought my tile saw to work on Friday, and my custodian and I cut tile. Like that's still deep down in me, even as a middle school principal. Like I, I can't Ooh. give up that stuff. Where were you when Don and I think our other good friend, Chad Sweat, tried to drill a hole to uh, make a projector 10, 20 years ago? They got slapped on the wrist, I think, there. Well, you know, there's an advantage of being an administrator. You can <laughs> get away with some things here and there. Plus, it, it was my stuff and we we're cutting tile. We weren't cutting any holes in walls or any anything like that. So, but Dave, you make You make a good point, though, because the one thing I always have to remember is we might have a kid who's really unmotivated or a real behavior problem in the seventh grade. And we'll see him three, four, five years later and he's on the right track. It looks like he finally, you know, figured stuff out. And I think sometimes when you're stuck in middle school, you think what you're looking at is a fully formed uh, human and they're just not. And you know that so many of them will find their way. And it does make me wonder how much of this essay or article is maybe a little bit alarmist in that, you know, uh, a lot of these kids will figure it out at some point. I would say, yes, they are not fully formed. And I think, Zach, you would you would attest to this. And even Don would attest to this is 
will have kids who are just complete train wrecks. And then you see them two, three, four years later, and you're like, oh, my God. That's the same kid. Like, it's amazing, right? But And you also have the opposite, where you have kids who are completely put together. And you're like, this kid's amazing. And then you find out they didn't make it through high school. And you're like, what happened? Right? There are some of those life forces outside that happen. And that part is out of our control as maybe as a school, some of those things. But, you know, being able to give those kids, and when I think about boys in general, like giving them chances to be active in the classroom and to engage them in any way possible. You know, even if it is 20 minutes at lunch every fall and spring that I can get them outside and get them active and engage them is so huge. I I coach football, you know, as a principal, I coach football every fall. I love it. I love football. You guys both know that. And part of why I do that is because I know that that connects me with 40 boys in my school. Do you ever wish you could get twice as many out or or somehow? Absolutely. If I could connect with another 80, 40 to 80 boys outside of school, another way similar to football, I don't give me, I don't care what it is. Absolutely. Because then they see me in a different light. They see me as a different type of role model besides just being a principal, right? They see me as a coach. They see me as a person. I talk to them, right? As a football coach, you talk about responsibility, respect, leadership, (laughs) grit. You talk about all those things. And it's beyond what they see me in school, right? They see me in school and I'm the principal and I'm around the building and visible. But then they see me on the football field and they see me in a different light. And yeah, they hear me in a a little different way. And I I hold them accountable a different way. And then that connects them to me inside of the school. And it's, I really do feel these last, this is my third year doing it. Like things at Scripps in my building are different these last few years. And I feel part of it is because I have a connection with the boys in my building who are seen as the leaders because they are the most athletic and they are the most visible and they, they know me a different way. And, and that makes a difference when that, when I talk to them, when I pull them in my office, because they are messing around at lunch and I have a conversation with them, it means something different because they see me more than just the grumpy principal. They I'm coach. They've seen me in the fall. They've seen me get through the grind all season. I've talked to them on the sideline as a coach. Like it is different. And that that is something, right? There there is something to that. And Zach, you can probably attest to that as a as a basketball coach. De- definitely. Your your relationships are different outside of a classroom, any sort of extracurricular and stuff like that. And as you're saying, you're saying that maybe you've seen some success with the idea of taking on an extracurricular and engaging with kids in football. I guess my question is like 
stereotypically, we like to think that America 30, 40, 50 years ago, like every boy played football. And I think the numbers probably were higher than they are now. What do you find about trying to get other kids to come out? Why won't they come out? Or why won't they come out for wrestling or for track or, you know, for any of the activities? It, it seems like the, our motivation gap uh, goes in all of, all of these areas, if that makes sense. Well, I think that goes to, it's the struggle of, of it's easy to, as a parent, it's easy to just say, nah, I'm good. I don't need to do all that extra. It's, it's easy as a kid. It's very easy as a kid to say, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just stay busy with Fortnite. I'm going to stay busy with my computer or whatever online thing they're doing, right? They're staying busy, but it's online. You know, and I think that's a constant struggle we have as parents, keeping our kids active and engaged beyond just maybe a device. Fortnite, TikTok, doesn't matter what it is. You know, um, I think as as parents, we all know it's, you know, we want to keep our kids busy and active. And if they're busy and active in something online that we don't have to in, engage ourselves with, we're like, oh, they're good. They're busy. But the reality is maybe that's not the right thing. And and that is a struggle. You know, I have two very active boys. I'm, I'm going to be very honest. Both of my boys are extremely active, but it is still a struggle. You know, I had basketball practice this night, this morning for one of my boys. And it was like, get them up, get them moving. And you just complain the whole time. Then I get him there and we do practice and he's great. So it's like just getting in there, getting him through that hurdle of getting there so much can make a difference. Dave makes a great point here. A bunch of great points. Um, building a relationship with students, as always, uh, is the way to get them to perform for you. It's taken me a good 16 weeks to build a relationship with this one class I have, but finally the boys are coming through for me. And I, it's got to be harder as an administrator because you don't see them for a set 60, 90 minutes every day. But football coaches are often very, very good at building culture and building motivation. Plus, I'm sure it's a lot more... <laughs> It's a, it's a welcome respite when Mr. McKay says, hit that kid instead of don't hit that kid. I'm yeah. sure they, they want to hear that. But one of the things you're talking about, the barriers to getting into sports, I think one of the things we, uh, we really should take a second look at is pay to play, that you have to pay to play a sport. When there is that entry level, that gateway, it's one more barrier to prevent, prevent kids from coming out. Whereas there might be 20 more kids that are would have played football had they not had to pay to play, had they just walk on and like, no, give it a shot. There's no big barriers here. But the pay to play slows down the number of kids coming in. I think it's a huge problem. There was no pay to play when I was in high school. Maybe that's just Ann Arbor in the 1990s, but it makes a big difference because you just kids that just come out out of, you know, oh, I guess my friends here, I'll give it a shot. Those are often the best kids, not just in talent, but also the kids that are hardest working and buy in and contribute. I, I do appreciate that, Don, but I'm also going to push back a little bit because, you know, the pay to play system in our particular district is a little bit different than maybe other districts. But, you know, for our kids who fill out the free and reduced kind of federal free and reduced paperwork, you know, it's. $60 and you can play as many sports as you want. You know, it's 
that's free. Reduced is $90. So if you qualify for reduced, it's $90. And you can play, you know, at the middle level, you can play four sports for $90 as a reduced yeah. student, $60 for a free student. And even, you know, at the middle level, and even at high school, I think is and $325 per student. Middle school is 265 you know, at the high school, you could play three sports for $325. In middle school, you can play four sports. If you're a middle school boy or middle school girl, it doesn't matter. You could play four sports for $265. I, I don't even want to say on rate on this, how much I'm paying for my son's baseball. Like it is, <laughs> it is a multiple of that. I'm sure the bat, the bat is more than playing sports at school. The bat is $400. Oh, God. <laughs> Just the bat is double. Like, Hopefully he's not a it, catcher. It, it is a good – well, he is a catcher. Don't, <laughs> let's not talk about that. So it is it, it is a barrier. I would – I 100% it is a barrier. And it is conversations that we have to have with kids and parents about – especially with some of the, some kids, like, you know, you need to fill out this paperwork online and they don't want to do it for a variety of reasons, but then they do it. And then we can get them in for, you know, 60 bucks and then they can play four sports and we can connect them to the school another way all school year. Do you think though, the issue is, you know, why do we have to wait till after school to try to offer kids things to connect them to it, if you know what I'm saying. Like, have we ever been, do we need to be more creative about electives or, you know, classes that are going to be, uh, you know, physical in nature, maybe more, you know, more PE like opportunities or challenge classes, or it could be anything from knitting or have some teacher that, that, that has a hobby and is really good at it and wants to share their passion with other kids that are interested in it. Do you think like we should be looking at how we use our day as a better opportunity to engage and build relationships than just waiting for those that want to stay after school? 100%. I feel that that is more of a barrier than what Don mentioned about financials is, you know, we have a lot of kids who come to us from other school districts and rides to and from school is the biggest barrier for them for, to participate in other things. It would be amazing to be able to offer them at the middle school and especially at the high school level, more opportunities to get engaged in those activities that connect them to the school. And I think that's, and I'm saying that on purpose where I'm not saying about athletics, but what can we do to connect them to a larger group of people, right? What can we do to connect them to the school community, right? There is, you know, part of it, we're talking about athletics and, you know, my experience football, but beyond that, there are, you know, and especially at the high school and Don can kind of attest to this is there are so many things going on at the high school level beyond the classroom and how can we connect them? How can right. we connect them in a way that they can they can actually attend and be a part of it? And 
Yes. It, it is not, it is better if it is not after school because a lot of them can't do it after school. Well, it's interesting because, you know, a little bit ago, we kind of joked that like, hey, middle school is kind of low stakes. It's about growing up. It's about getting feedback and, and learning from your mistakes. And and therefore, wouldn't that be the best place to do experiments with, with these sorts of engagement things? I remember walking out of school the other day and I walked by some kids that were a part of the Dungeons and Dragons Club. And these guys were so animated. They were they were creating stories with one another. They were interacting. They were talking. They were doing math. And you're like, isn't this what we want in school? Like people fired up and, and engaging with each other. And yet they had to do it after school. And they had to pay a fee to be a part of this, this club. And they had to get a bunch of signatures to do it. And hey, a lot of the kids obviously figured out how to do that. But what if that was just their third hour every day for 10 weeks or something? That would be great, but I think we have a lot of hurdles outside of a school district that we would have to overcome to be able to make something like that happen. You know, at the high school, I can't think of the name of it, but it, it's not Dr Dungeons and Dragons, but there's another club at the high at Lake Orion High School that is just as big, and they are all in. They were in my classroom years ago, and it was amazing every Tuesday that they were there, how many kids would show up and how enthusiastic and engaged they were in their, in their, what they were doing, but it connected them to kind of that group. I, I mean, I don't know. And also just giving kids social opportunities to meet each other. It seems like kids are struggling nowadays more just to, to know how to talk to one another. And I think part of it is when it's easier just to kind of check out and look at your phone but then to find other people with common interests. And I, I think those are all obviously other factors that, you know, should be explored or at least continue to discuss. But I wanted to go back. You mentioned you have uh, your son, who's um, a motivated athlete who's going to school. And Don, you also have two uh, wonderful sons that are a little bit older, but also motivated young men that seem like they're all on the right paths. I guess my question is, would you agree with the premise of this article when you either look at your kids or maybe their social group or their peers? Are you seeing sort of the signs that this article talked about? Or would you say, no, like your kids just don't quite fit into this description? And then I guess my question is, what do you think made the difference that they are motivated when they come to school and they're able to, to stay organized and they are able to kind of keep on track of their grades and stuff like that. Well, there's uh, I was talking to my wife about this and she was mentioning executive functioning and how executive functioning is the buzzword around her school in that boys that are planning and thinking ahead. And that's what the Wall Street Journal article was about, was about this um, woman who coaches boys for $500 or something to learn how to schedule and yeah, and find motivation and whatnot. And those are kind of executive skills that are built by relationships with parents and teachers. And um, I am mostly cooking and cleaning up, but my wife's building those skills in our boys and that's something that's been there we've also been involved and supportive and ultimately nobody knows nobody's doing a double blind procedure like let's see if we can do everything right for the first kid and just screw with the second kid <laughs> everybody's doing their best so you don't know what takes hold i will tell you that i think there's many different subgroups there's a group of kids that are involved in 
pure academic pursuit of excellence and elite schools. And sometimes that crosses over with sports. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, our boys do three seasons of athletics. I will. They sometimes leave for school before 6 a.m. and come back after 6 p.m in that they're doing running 30 miles a week and doing swim team and doing indoor track and in the key club and in the French club. And they're doing so many things and they're doing things that they've chosen to be involved in. And there's a group of kids that are just into everything. I think the group that we're concerned with and the article's concerned with is the kids that aren't into anything. And the after school uh, things that they might be interested in are just seen as an opportunity cost because they'd rather be at home playing Fortnite or whatever. Like, do you want to go home and play Fortnite and eat chips or do you want to join the cross country team? Like, well, one's a lot harder <laughs> and it takes a big barrier to cross. And once you get into it, I mean, kids don't quit these sports. Once they get in, they get two weeks in, they stick with it because they find that there's there's uh, building relationships and bonding with people and enjoying the team culture. And these teams, especially football, but other teams too, are great at pulling kids in and saying, we have a pasta party tonight. Are you going to be there? You're going to be at the meet, right? And getting involved with something slash anything, especially because at the high school, one thing can be year round. You can do football every day after school year round because there'll be somebody to lift with and somebody to run with and somebody to drill with. And the same thing with the running uh, sports and everything else. So it's hard to tell why it is. I can tell you that some kids get in and to stay in and my older son, if he could play six sports, he would because he desperately wants to play soccer, basketball, running, swimming, and three other things. Plus the football coaches recruiting him. And he's a little intrigued there. So it's it's just a matter of if you want in, you can be in. If you don't want in, I just don't know what to do with those kids. And those are the kids that I think we're talking about here. I would agree. But whereas there's a there's a large group of kids who want to get engaged and we they find they find that engagement within the school, whatever that is in that community. And the biggest hurdle is when you have a, a kid or a family, I don't want to say allows, but the, the student or the kid is okay with just, I'm going to go home and be on Fortnite. That's my engagement. Well, that engagement online is not the same as engaging with people face-to-face -face and getting through that barrier. Like, no, that is not okay. You need to find human interaction to engage with, whatever it is, be it in athletics, robotics, key club, there's, there is something for them and pushing them through that barrier. So many times, and I think we all have experienced it with our own kids, and I've experienced it with kids that I work with every day in school, is getting them through that initial hurdle. Like, yep, this is going to be hard for the first day. Like you're going to show up and you're not going to know anybody and you're going to have to get through that awkwardness. But after that, things are going to be great because someone is going to be nice to you. You're going to connect with somebody and day two is going to be a little bit easier. Day three is going to be even easier. And then they're going to have that human connection to school or to that activity. And that builds them to have more and more connection. And so important. What, what about peers? And I guess my question to you, Dave, is do you notice a divide now towards 
uh, hyper-motivated, super-involved, connected kids in school, both boys and girls. And then the other half, as Don had kind of pointed out, the ones that aren't very connected, maybe not very motivated. Do you find, though, that it becomes this like, like you have just groups and these groups kind of tend to hang out with each other. And what I feel like I notice in my own class is kind of under-motivated kids kind of tend to sort of find each other and they almost kind of tend to bring out the worst in each other in terms of their behavior or the things that they want to socially reinforce, maybe what becomes funny or maybe it even becomes cool not to do anything. And then it almost seems like it's even harder to try to promote new ideas or activities to those kids because it's socially reinforced among their peers that, hey, we don't do anything here. It's not cool to, to try hard in school. That's an age-old question and an age-old <laughs> issue. That is no different from us when we were in school in the 90s. Fair. Right? And, it, and part of it is in something that I am working on, very focused on in my building, is that building culture of trying to get all staff on board and all kids on board of just being engaged and positive and focused on being a good person. And with that becomes, or with that comes all of these other things that we want in our kids as, as students. So I, th I think that is very much something that every school deals with and every school culture deals with. And if the negative of a school culture and the, well, I'm not going to do anything or we're going to vape all the time or, you know, pick the, pick the poison. If that takes over and becomes the cool thing or the accepted thing, that's what kids are going to do. If you can, if you can develop your school culture and your community to be different than that, then things are going to be different. Any any sense if a lot of these this issue is based upon maturity? And it seems like there's more and more research that just suggests boys mature at a, at a slower rate than girls in terms of usually by the time they get to middle school, um, boys are just a little bit less mature. And we know that they'll catch up. But my point being, we always have socially promoted by age. We don't really take maturity level um, or readiness into account when we send a kid to their next grade, do you think we should be doing that at all? I would say I'm going to answer this two ways and I'm going to sound like I'm speaking on both sides of my mouth. I am 100% on board with that boys mature at a slower pace than girls. I've been in education now since 2004. Both my boys were right on the bubble of what, grade they could be in and we held them back and that was 100% because I taught ninth grade math for 10 years and I could pick out every single boy who <laughs> was the youngest in my class like it took me a month and I could tell you they, they were just at a different level and that's okay it's fine we got to all recognize that and know that and you talk to any educator and I can almost guarantee you they've all held their boys back. Like that is a, <laughs> it's just one of those things. But with that, we all know, and the research has shown that holding kids back is 
you know, when you, when you get into school and they get going, having them redo sixth grade or redo seventh grade, it is, there is a stigma that just sets them back so much. So, you know, if you don't do it early, then it's a matter of recognizing it, knowing that and supporting that as much as you possibly can and recognizing, yep, I've got a, I've got a young boy. Look at the birth date. Yep. I've got a young boy in my class. I need to make sure that I treat them and work with them a different way than I do the other kids in the class. What about the suggested idea of having all boy classes? Do you think there's any merit in that uh, solution? You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't have experience with an all boys class. So I, I, I don't know what that looks like or how that goes. You know, it'd be very interesting to talk to, you know, we have, we all have a colleague that we know and love Tim, who's got two boys who went through, who are, have experienced in an all boys high school to hear his experience and how different that is from what he teaches in Lake Orion compared to what his boys have gone through. I do think there's some merit to it. I also think that a hundred percent of that is not realistic, right? Because at the end of the day, when they go to college or when they go beyond to their workplace, it is a, is it's mixed, right? It's boys and girls. And quite frankly, probably more women than men. So they have to know how to work with and and interact with with both genders and how that all works. So I think that's something that's some to be discussed, but I don't know if that's the answer. I will be first in line to volunteer to teach the all girls class. <laughs> um, highly motivated, focused kids with long attention spans. I can do it. I know I can. I, I guess I would just be curious about piloting it, though, or, or just trying it. You know, it's it's not like you have to just turn the switch and make every class uh, a gender-focused class, but it just seems like, wouldn't that be something that you'd want to experiment with and see if it if it gains any traction or if you had any positive results? Well, Zach, I guess I would ask you, like, as, as a social studies teacher, you've probably run into classes that have been more, you know, 20 boys and four girls and vice versa, right? I have some classes right now that are going that are very, you know, one gender heavy compared to the other and just having those discussions with teachers, how that's different. Um, I guess I'm curious if you think back in your history, like, yeah, I've had some of those and it's it's very different. It It is different. And it's different in the sense that the approach to even going into the room is different. And I always feel like you've got to amp yourself up with more energy. But but to be honest, what I find is I end up, you know, probably putting on my coach voice more often than than probably it's needed. But, you know, I, and I find that uh, probably how I talk to the kids is probably a little bit differently. And frankly, I, I probably would change, you know, how I would do certain things. I don't know if we do as many open-ended partner-led investigations and stuff like that to get the information. I, I might be a little more direct 
to be honest. And I might be a little bit more like, hey, this is what we've got to know. Let's be efficient, as you said earlier, and stuff like that. And those are just the things that, like, I don't know if I could fully flush out how I'm different, but I'm sure I am. And it's really just to meet the hour, but also... What you find is uh, you have to have a presence in there to make sure that things aren't going to get out of control, if that makes sense. It does. And I, I, I guess I would ask you to expand upon that because I've seen you as a girls basketball coach and a boys basketball coach. And I would say that you are a different coach for each team. Like you're a very different person for each team. Maybe. I, I guess I'd have to give more feedback on how I look out there. Um, but I, I would definitely say, one, with girls, I've always felt like I can just logically ask, this is what I want to try. This is how we're going to try it. And I'm going to give you some feedback along the way. With boys, I feel like for some reason my voice has to be raised. And I have to repeat myself over and over and show it over and over. And I possibly have to re-explain why we're trying to do this. It's almost like there's there's a lack of trust coming out of the gate with the boys about trying something new. Whereas the girls are, I, I feel like, tenderly more open to to giving things a chance, if that makes sense. It does. And 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 I only think that because we just played your team the other day. And I, I think it's the first time I heard you actually yell as a coach. <laughs> the end of the third quarter, I think it was. And you, you, you got total Zachabiel coach voice going with your boys to try to get them motivated and fired up. And I don't think I would have ever heard that. Well, I think it was because your son had just finished up the fifth wide open transition layup on us. (laughs) And I was feeling very frustrated that my kids were blaming each other and not sprinting back. And therefore I lost it. I usually (laughs) can handle these things but you know the fifth transition layup dave you got to get back on defense i I understand that but i also feel like that is different for you than what i would have ever seen for you as a girls coach just because year eight or nine that i've seen you coaching both sports and you know don i guess i would ask you to chime in because i know you've coached (laughs) both levels both boys and girls cross country track and how you work with them you know, it's a little bit different in running, but the uh, girls sometimes shut down if you yell at them. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's angry. What do I do? Whereas the boys sometimes respond like, oh, my gosh, I better go. He might get me. So there's uh, there may be something different there. Zach's the expert in this nature. I I don't know. Yeah. Running's largely self-motivated. You can have somebody holler at you, and a lot of kids will just be like, yeah, there he is yelling. But, but it is interesting, and, and I've thought a lot about this is – If I do yell as a coach, usually in our society, we say, wow, what a motivator, right? This guy (laughs) is the leader of men. Look at him yell. But if I yell as a teacher, I all of a sudden maybe become a bully and an unreasonable person and not a philosopher. And yet some people just kind of need to be yelled at every once in a while, if you know what I'm saying. Well, there's yelling for directed at somebody and yelling just to yell, to be theatrical, to um, change it up, to make things more interesting. And I'm likely to do the latter, but not the former. I haven't yelled at somebody in a long time. So it is, uh, there's a time. I I would say that uh, 
yeah, there's there's a time and a place that you need to make yourself known, you know, and, and as administrator, I can, I can say that Dave McKay as an administrator in 2013 is very different than me now in 2023. But I will also say that there is a time and a place where you need to make yourself known and you do it right. You do it the right way. You don't belittle, belittle kids. You don't make them feel like, it's directly at them or at least at them as a person, but maybe their action, right? You made a bad choice, but like, yeah, there's, there's time and a place. I'm a little old school when it comes to that type of thing. Like it's okay to, to let yourself be heard in, in a different way. You know, you just have to do it the right way. And at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of carrots and and positive positive interactions that go into meeting kids before that happens, right? It, there's I'm very purposeful about making sure that I am as visible as possible outside of the classroom, in the classroom, in the hallways, at lunch, in lunches, talking with kids, and putting those positive pieces, you know, little positive interactions in because at the time when I need to, when I need to make a withdrawal and it might be a big withdrawal that they, they know at the end of the day, yep, I made a mistake and Mr. McKay's not happy, but he also cares about me because of all of these other times that we've, we've, we've had together. Well, you're a male, Mr. McKay, and uh, Don, you're a male too, and and so am I. We're all males, uh, and we're educators. And one of the things these articles talked about is the decline in the number of just male teachers and males in the profession. What do you think about that as a, as an issue? Do you see it, Dave, as a problem that we don't have enough male teachers? And I guess you're probably on a lot of hiring committees and stuff like that. Are you finding as many male applicants as female applicants, or has it really dramatically shifted? Uh, I would say one, the the amount of applicants is considerably lower than maybe previous years. I would say it's getting a little bit better these last couple of years than. Um, Maybe pre-COVID, we're having more people getting into education. I would say yes, mm -hmm. males are at a premium for sure. Males at the middle and elementary level, probably especially the elementary level, are at a premium. But you know, I think about the dynamic of my building, and and Zach, you can maybe chime in on your building, but you know, I think about my building and at my upper level, eighth grade, we're close to 50-50. And then at seventh grade, we've 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 definitely changed where we're we're getting closer to that 50-50 mark. And then sixth grade is is definitely still female dominated. And it is something that I look at and I'm aware of when I interview. Can't say that it is like, oh, we're hiring a male. No, absolutely not. But like, if we have male candidates, like I want to definitely take a look at them 
and see what they have. You know, if they're not the best candidate, they're not the best candidate. But, you know, it is something that we need to be aware of to have those role models for our male students. Well, the, the final thing they sort of brought up in the article is screens. And before COVID, we did not give everybody a computer to bring to school. Now, we did have phones and, and watches coming to school uh, at that point. But one of the things that the article talks about is the idea that, you know, kids are now regularly coming into class and a lot of classes sort of being given online and therefore kids will have 15 different browser windows open and they'll be playing games or getting onto sites they shouldn't be or watching movies, listening to music and just kind of doing all of these things. And every once in a while, I'll kind of walk behind a student that has no idea I'm behind him and I'll watch them just flip from screen to screen to screen to screen, not really doing the assignment that is needed. I've really tried to direct myself away from using computers unless we have a very specific task. But I guess my question to you is, do you think it's time to put the computers away in terms of uh, maybe kids don't need them anymore for school and maybe they're becoming a more distraction than a solution? I listen to you guys every week. Thank you. You're the only one. <laughs> I'm the only one. Listens every week, every Friday. And I think what you, the two of you have talked about over the years is, you know, and we see this in education all the time where the pendulum swings. And we, through COVID, the pendulum swung one way and to an extreme to the technology side, right? And part of that, it was out of necessity, where that's the only way we could connect with our kids was over technology. And now that we've, we're, we're through that and we're getting past that, I think as educators, we are recognizing that not everything should be done through a device. Not everything should be done on Teams for Lake Orion or Google Classroom for other districts, whatever. And it needs to be that human experience. And we are more and more seeing, and I'm more and more seeing in classrooms, getting back to that paper pencil, getting back to we're doing these group activities, you know, and I, I referenced that earlier when I talked about like curriculum focus for middle school, you know, and Zach, you would say like, as, as the middle school social studies department, we are talking about discussion and using discussion protocols and science is all about modeling and drawing and then using that to make arguments math department at the middle level like their focus right now is all about vertical whiteboarding and whiteboarding and peer discussion and peer feedback right it's not about using a computer it's about personal interaction so we're kind of seeing that pendulum start to move the other direction right it, it had to move so far for one reason and now we're starting to swing back and I think we've all seen it in education. We've been in it long enough that it's going to swing one way then it's going to swing back, you know, and, and try to find that right middle ground is always, uh, is the goal, I guess. Well, it, it's a fascinating topic. It's something that, you know, Don and I, again, we've, we've talked about with, with men going off to college and struggling and, and more women now graduating college than men and, it's an issue that I think is going to continue to be reported on. 
And and I guess uh, Don, Dave, just do you guys have any final thoughts or final recommendations? As uh, once again, Don, I'm not sure we solved this issue tonight. No, we didn't solve it, but. I don't think the lawnmowers are solving problems. I don't think kids being on phones are solving problems. I think that there's a lot of factors at foot there, and we'll never entirely know. It's going to be interesting over the next many years watching these out, but I'm pretty happy with uh, how my kids are looking. And uh, Dave, I know your boys a bit. They seem to be looking pretty strong. They're going to be good <clears throat> potential husbands and workers in the workplace. We're going to We're going to be okay, and the competition's looking weak. I would say final thought would be that I'm very optimistic about what we do as educators and recognizing that it's not just about technology. It's it's the human interaction is more and more important and that the human connection and that the connection to school, however it be, right? beyond just athletics, but whatever connection you have to school and really developing those connections to school is so important. And I think that's becoming more and more of a focus to schools. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to be a part of that and just want to keep encouraging that for, for everybody. I think you're right, Dave, but I think teachers are getting worse at it. I think teachers are feeling more and more stretched between the academic piece and the extracurricular. And, and quite frankly, we're, this is a whole nother podcast, guys, is the compensation for some of those extracurriculars because it is, and rightfully so, like people are, everybody is stretched thins, thin and it's becoming more and more on our public resources to do those connections and it's becoming harder and harder. I started that social studies department at Lake Orion. And I think everybody there with the exception of one was a coach of something or other. And now there's one out of 18. Is that what you're hitting at Don? When you said you think that teachers are getting, uh, maybe worse at, at making the connections. Well, I think teachers getting worse because there's a lot of teachers that throw together lessons that are entirely based on the computer because it's easy. It's easy to set it up. It's easy for the kids to do. It's easy to execute. It doesn't take a lot of energy or effort. And the teacher can sit down the whole time. Um, and I think that kids hate it and it is bad for everybody. Um, but also, Dave makes a good point there, and that's what I was reflecting on, is that um, if you, even if you're not the greatest teacher, but you're the wrestling coach, you bond with the kid coaching wrestling, and you, that, some of that comes back to the classroom and the engagement in the school. And we know characters who may or may not have been fantastic teachers, but were so interesting and dynamic as coaches, they brought kids in to bond with the school. And they're just in my department where there's 18-some teachers. I think when I... Dave, when you and I started the high school, I think every single one minus one or two people were two coaches of something or other and bonding with those kids in other ways that you spoke about earlier. And now they're not. And I don't know if it's the money or whatnot, but there's a whole lot of people that don't do it anymore. We're getting old, Don. That's part of it. Yeah, but the old guys, <laughs> the old guys were in it too. They were in it forever. Like they're, they're lifers. They didn't get master's degree. They're going to coach till they die. And now some of them are dead. 
it's interesting you mentioned that about, about engagement, Dave, but do we have a metric to measure engagement with schools? Is there some way to to know if if like what what percentage of your student body feels engaged with the school or is engaged with the school? Yeah, we have two two ways that we take a look at that as as a district, right? So all of our athletes have to use a program, an online program to register for athletics. And so we can look at how many kids are involved in athletics through that through that program. And then, you know, one of, at least for our district, one of our strategic plans is to get kids more involved in the school district um, through our GAP programs or guided athletic, you know, guard, guided activity programs. And they, they track how many kids sign up and how many kids participate in those other ac activities outside of athletics or robotics or band or choir. So... They are keeping track of of those things, and it is a focus of the district um, to try to increase those. You know, but with that, you know, financially, it has gotten better. You know, the district has in, increased the salary for all of those positions, not just athletics, but the gap programs and that type of thing. So they're trying to focus on it more, but it it is hard to add funds to those to those programs because it's not academics. And you know, when you talk to the state or talk to the community, you know, they want academics more than, you know, they say they want these other things, but they want at the end of the day, they want academics. And that that takes up a huge chunk of our budget well it's uh it is it's a fascinating conversation that can go in a lot of different ways and uh we, we will have to pick this up again here dave you'll have to come back and uh we'll have to kind of keep seeing if we're if we're making progress on this issue i guess and that would be my one thing is is there a way to measure if we're making progress obviously you people have been talking about this issue for a long time people have been throwing out potential solutions and maybe nibbling at them but is there a way to measure if, um, how do we know if we've gotten boys back on track, if you know what I'm saying? For sure. That is something that we can definitely discuss uh, down the line. And if I, and, you know, give me some heads up, I can do some digging and maybe I can come with some solid numbers to to be able to discuss, at least for our particular district. I can't necessarily get other districts information, but I I, I can do some digging and try to try to get some specific data for, for our district. I'd be curious about that. That'd be very interesting. Maybe we can set up one of those longitudinal studies Don really wants to have. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much for, for donating your time and, and talking about this. Your insights were really interesting. And uh, Don, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. And you too, David. Thanks, guys. I appreciate being here. Thank you.